this is a very different world than the one I grew up in. Uh, I was trying to think of a good example. This, this might give you a, a, a glimpse into my childhood. At my high school every year, we had a drive a tractor to high school day. And yes, I participated all four years. So that'll tell you a little bit about um, my own background. It is, it is good to be with you here this evening. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, ever since Aiden asked me, I've been looking forward to this. And uh, I'm really overjoyed to be here with you tonight. And we're going to talk about prayer tonight and tomorrow night. Uh, and that's such a big topic. How do you cover all this? I, I don't know. But we're going to take the 30,000-foot view. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, right? You, when you fly over, if you've ever fl flown on a plane, you look down, you can't see the details. We're not able to get into the details tonight and tomorrow. But you can hopefully get a broad sense of what prayer is, why we pray, how to pray, those kinds of things. I'm hoping to cover those things. And here's, and here's why. I, I love the, the, that we're talking about prayer on something that's called a revival. Because every significant movement where God has moved in mighty ways has always, I can say that, always been surrounded and rooted in deep, consistent prayer. Every revival that the church has ever seen, any major event that you read in the Bible, there is prayer that surrounds it. And so it's great to take some time. And uh, I'm so thankful that Nathan said what he said. If we could slow down just for two nights and really talk about what this means and what this looks like. So prayer is one of those things uh, that we talk a lot about in Christianity and it's so familiar that sometimes I wonder if we actually know what it means or what it does. And here's, here's another story that I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about me. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of an embarrassing story. When we moved here, uh, I started working with RUF, and we have really great dental insurance. So I started seeing a dentist on a regular basis. I'm not going to tell you how infrequently I used to go, but it was pretty bad. Uh, well, I'm going, and I'm going every six months. And I go, and the first time I go there, the dental hygienist looks at me and says, wow, you have got to do a lot better job brushing your teeth because you're going to have some serious problems in a short amount of time. Like, okay. Uh, she said to me the next time I came in six months later, and we got floss and we got uh, mouthwash, and she said it again in the next six months. And then she said it again, and then here I am. I'm 36 years old. And I have to look at this person and say, can you teach me how to brush my teeth? And she did. She, she had this whole demonstration that she did for me. And guess what? Ever since then, not a single problem. But it was so common. Like, brush your teeth. I've been brushing my teeth since I've had teeth. But no one actually ever took the time to tell me how to do it properly. And ever since that time, it's made a world of difference. And I wonder a little bit if that's how we treat prayer sometimes. We talk about it a lot, and we assume, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are doing those things, and we tell you to do those things more, but what does it actually mean to pray? What's your motivation to pray, and how do you do it? Those are the things we're going to look at tonight. And my goal for us over the next two nights is that you know what prayer is, that you feel more confident when you pray, and that you have a strong desire to pray regularly. Now, in order to do that, I'm going to ask a couple things 
of everybody. And I want to I want to admit this isn't easy, but I'm going to challenge you to do this. The first thing I want you to do tonight and tomorrow is I want you to be really honest. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Uh, we all put up protective barriers to protect us. We all usually wear a mask, not just literally, but we put on that, that, that persona that we want other people to see and we hope we're like. And what I want us to do for the next two nights is can you tear down that wall that you use to protect yourself, that you keep God or other people at, distant, at a distance? Can you be honest with yourself and vulnerable? We sang about it a couple times. Can we do that? That's the first thing. The second thing is, can you be honest with God? And that's another step further. Can you tell Him what you really think and how you're really feeling? Guess what? He already knows. He's big enough and He cares deeply for you. You cannot hide anything from Him. Can you be honest and true to Him? And the last thing I want for the next two nights is, can you expect God? I'm asking you to expect God to be at work. To work in your heart and to work through this weekend with each other. Those are the things that I want us to do. Um, speaking about prayer, I, I pray often and I pray a lot. But in order to kind of give us a, a full picture of things, one of the things I wanted to do is I'm actually going to read all the prayers that I pray for us corporately, just to give you a little bit of a sense uh, of prayers throughout history, throughout the world. Uh, this is actually from a very new book that came out recently called Canyon Road, written by Carrie Reeves. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's from her book, Canyon Road, that I'm going to read this prayer. So if you would, let's, let's enter this time with prayer. I'm going to read this to us. God, give us the ability to hear your voice. Break through the wall of silence and enter into the deepest chambers of our hearts. Open our ears that we may hear what you want to say. Give us grace and give us comfort. We want you to teach us what it means to worship you. As we sit in your presence by faith, we want to understand what it means to know you. You have broken into our world. So break into our hearts afresh. We grant you access, so please come in and meet us now. We don't know how to ask for this or how to describe it. We simply want to be close to you. Where we have constructed walls to protect ourselves from you, overcome them. Show us what it means experientially to hear your voice. We want to listen. We want to understand you personally like we understand our closest friends. We want to know you like we know those we love most in the world. As we learn what it means to worship, grant us freedom. Give us the power and guidance of your Spirit. As we feel our way through these new experiences, give us a sense of your love, Jesus. Support our faith with your faith. Support our commitment with your commitment. Support our new life with your own. Free us from our inhibitions and give us faith to believe that you hear when we pray.
we also ask God that you grant us the privilege of hearing you sing over us. We want to know your love. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show us Jesus. Jesus, show us the Father. Amen. So with such a big topic, it's, it's sometimes hard to know what to cover or where to start. And I want to start with just a couple of assumptions uh, because I don't know you all well uh, here in person and those online. Uh, I want to recognize just where we might be coming from. You, you may have come from a, a background where you've known Jesus your whole life. You've been to church every time the doors were open. Prayer is something that you practice regularly. Uh, I want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. We're going to be studying these things and hopefully... You will have a better depth and grasp and knowledge of what it means to pray and how to pray and why we pray. But I also want to recognize that some of you might not be believers at all. Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. Maybe, maybe this faith in Christianity thing is something that you're exploring for the first time. Maybe. I don't know. But maybe this is the first Christian event you've ever attended. And prayer sounds kind of crazy. Prayer is this thing where you're talking to God that you can't see, that you can't really sense with your five senses. And I want to say, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. I want to recognize how big of a step that is, if that's true of you. Uh, if you do me a favor, only if you feel comfortable, only if you feel comfortable, would you come and say hi to me? Because I would like to personally thank you for coming. It means a lot. And I want to recognize how big a step that is. And some of you may be here, and it's difficult, not because you're new or to Christianity, but maybe you're feeling angry or bitter or like God is distant. I want to recognize that that's really hard. And I want to say thank you to you too. Because that's a big step. When you don't know what to say or where to go, and where God feels distant, and you're here searching and seeking, thank you. We are glad you're here. I am glad you're here. And again, if you'd be willing to say hi, I would love to just say thank you for coming. It really is a privilege to be here. There is no expectations. There is no judgment. I just want to say thanks. Um, also with prayer, there's a number of assumptions that are made. I, I've been a pastor now for a number of years, I started at a very small church in rural South Dakota, which doesn't tell you much because basically all of South Dakota is rural. Uh, but I've heard a lot of prayers in my time. I started doing ministry in 2003. And sometimes people pray like they're, they're talking to Santa Claus. Right? I have two small kids. You know, you go to Santa Claus every, every Christmas and you have this list of things that you want. And you go to Santa Claus and you sit on his lap and you say, I've been really, really good this year. And here's a list of the things I want. And because I've been good, you're going to give me what I want. Uh, in the 90s, we used to use this phrase, uh, we don't anymore, called the ogre in the sky. And some people would think of God, and I've heard people pray, like God is this big, angry, powerful being that we just cannot upset. And if we upset him, he may squish us. So we pray to God just to appease him and to make sure he's not angry. Uh, I've also heard prayers. I, I love movies. I love really awful, cheesy comedy movies. So uh, this will date me and tell you a lot about my personality. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. Thank you. Someone does. Yes. Um, there's a scene 
where they have to get to the other side of this big gaping abyss. And you have to answer these questions, right? Otherwise you're thrown into uh, some pit where you fall forever and it's just like ultimate torment. So you either get exactly where you need to go or you're tortured for all eternity and you just have to say the right things. And I've heard people pray that way. They go to God, like there is this list that they have to hit just right or God will be mad. Um, and we, we can go on. Um, another one I like to use is paying taxes. It's tax season or you're starting to file taxes. Um, and I don't know if you've ever had to do this. My taxes are very complicated because of my job. Uh, and so you, you can go to the IRS. You say, how much do I, how, how much do I owe you? you say, we're not going to tell you. You have to figure that out on your own. Uh, you go, okay, uh, well, how do I figure it out? So, well, there's a bunch of complicated rules and there's all these exceptions and uh, good luck trying to figure it out. Uh, okay, uh, what if I get it wrong? Well, you get fined or you go to jail. And you're like, it's so confusing. You have no idea what to do or say. And I've heard people pray that way, right? Um, so again, I hope what we get from uh, tonight and tomorrow night is a greater sense of confidence and, and knowledge, not just what it is, but an actual deep desire to know what to pray and how to pray as well. So uh, the way I like to do this, I, again, work with college students. There are three questions we kind of always try to answer. And just to lay a basic foundation so we're all in the same place, before we look at the scripture, which we're going to look at tonight, is uh, I want to start with some definitions. The first is, what is prayer? That's a really great place to start. What is prayer? And fortunately, we, we see a lot of examples in the Bible. And we have a lot of people who have done a lot of great work on this. But to put it as simply as, as we can, prayer is personal communication with God. And that's either as individuals or corporately as a body. Another person puts it this way, prayer is a personal communicative response to knowing God. Uh, I'm a really simple person. I think in very simple terms. So this is, this is how I think about prayer, taking it from here. Um, prayer is an action in a particular direction with proper motivation. I like to use those terms. It's an action. You're speaking or communicating with and to God. And He's speaking to you. You're going in a particular direction. It's not just you're offering these prayers in the air. You're going to God in a particular direction with proper motivation. It's by faith. You're trusting and believing in Him. So prayer is this, this speaking to and talking to and communicating to God in and through faith. All right, so if that's what it is, why? Why do we pray? Now that's, that's the big question. And again, if I, could, I wish we had more time to go through this, um, but just to give us a basis to work from, we pray and we're called to pray because we love God. We want to honor Him. Or sometimes we use the word glorify. We, we want to give Him and put Him in the proper place in our life and in the world that He deserves. And we want to recognize that He is holy and He's powerful. There's a lot there, uh, but we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about that. I try to think of some illustrations. If you if you have a really close friend or if you're married or you know people who are married, why why do you think communication and talking to a spouse is a good thing? It's because it's something you want to do. 
And there are conversations you only have with your spouse that you don't have with anyone else. Now, why is that? It's because of this close-knit communication and friendship and bond that you have with this one particular person. And you want to honor and respect this person because of who they are to you in, to, in your life. That is similar to our relationship with God that we have in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a, a prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. And he says, you have a deep personal connection and relationship to God. And so prayer to him is this desire to love him, to give him the place he deserves, and to see that you cannot do it on your own. You need help, and you're going to go to the one who can help you. Prayer is an act of faith. It's an act of faith because you can't do life on your own. You need other people and you need God. I don't know if you've ever felt out of control before, but when you feel out of control, you realize just how little you actually control in your own life. Prayer is this act of faith where you turn to God and ask Him to help you. It's also, prayer is, is an act of trust. Trust not only that God hears you, but that He wants to hear from you. And that when He listens to your prayers, He can do something about them. A great um, reformer, Martin Luther, used to say the, the hand of God is tied to prayer. That when you pray, He acts. That's how important of an emphasis He would put on it. Okay, so if we just talked about what prayer is, communicating with God, and why we are to pray, because we love Him and we trust Him, how? How do we pray? What are kind of the nuts and bolts? What does it look like? If you've ever asked that question, you are in fantastic company. Because what we're going to look at tonight is the people who have been following Jesus, his entire ministry, ask him that very question. The people who are living with him day in and day out ask him to teach them how to pray. And so if you would, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open up. We're going to be looking at Matthew 11. If you have a, a hard copy or on your phone, um, I'm going to have it tonight. I'm going to have it up on the screen because it's, it's uh, not a long section. Uh, and it'll also help you understand the, the translation that I'm using as well to follow along. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1 and going to verse 13. And they, at, they go to Jesus, his followers, his disciples go to him. They turn to him and say, Teach us how to pray. And guess what? Not only does he give them an example of prayer, but he actually goes a lot deeper. Because it's not just the words that you say to Jesus that matter, or to God when you pray. Jesus in this passage is going to tell you the expectation and the attitude to have when you go to God in prayer. And when we get to that section, it is meant to be shocking and maybe even a little disturbing. It might be a different way than we've ever actually thought about what prayer is and what it means. Um, but before we get to that point, we're going to look at this first part of uh, Luke chapter 11. So again, if you have your Bibles open, uh, we're going to read starting in verse 1 and go through verse 4. And we're going to read something, a version of what we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer. We find it actually in different books of the, uh, of the Gospels. 
There's slightly different versions, but they say essentially the same thing. So what we're going to do when, when the disciples ask, teach us to pray, we're going to take it line by line and just talk a little bit about what each one means. Just to get an element of what Jesus says, here's how to pray. Because you don't have to pray only this prayer. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an example for us. It's a paradigm that we can use uh, for us to understand how to pray. So, let's look at the Scriptures. This is Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And we're going to stop at verse 4, and then we're going to talk about it. So this is uh, Luke 11, 1. It says, Now Jesus was finished in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. That's the prayer that he gives as an example. And we're going to just take uh, step by step each part of that prayer. If I was here a couple weeks ago and there was a guest preacher, Patrick O'Banion, who is a good friend of mine. And he spent his entire sermon on one word. Uh, we would be here a very long time if we did that. So we're just going to go section by section. We're not going to go too deep. But I think it is important for us to understand uh, each element when Jesus answers them how to pray. So the first part we're going to take is that first line, Father, hallowed be your name. And there's, there's two points that Jesus is making here. The first is the relationship that they have to God. And uh, again, a couple weeks ago, Patrick did a, a fantastic job of, of saying this, but I want to restate this. Nowhere, nowhere, in any religion in the world throughout history has anyone referred to God as Father. That familial relationship is nowhere else in any other religion. And it would be utterly shocking and jaw-dropping to the people who hear this. Because God, because God is powerful. He's mighty. He's eternal. He's above all. And the way you refer to Him is not holy, almighty, eternal God. How do you pray to Him? You pray and you talk to God like a child talks to their parents. Do you see how different that is? That approach. And, and Jesus says, this is how you treat your relationship with God. It's the request of a child from a loving, compassionate father. Knowing this relationship is extremely important. He's not your boss. He's not your supervisor. He's not just your friend. He's not a colleague. He's not a cheerleader in the corner cheering you on. He's not the ogre in the sky who's just mad at you when you mess up. He's your father. When a child comes with a request to their parents, how does a, how does a good parent treat that request. You know, my kids ask me for all sorts of crazy things. And I say yes as often as I can. Why? Because I love them. And because of my relationship with them. My relationship with my children is unique than I have a relationship with anyone else. Uh, so I work with college students. We have college students at our house all the time. We love it. 
uh, but they call me Brandon. And my kids caught this on. Uh, they have both done it around the age of three where they don't call me dad and they call me Brandon. And it is just, it's kind of head shaking. So what, what are the words that came out of your mouth? But we've had to sit down and with both my kids and I'd say, you get to call me dad because there's only two people in the entire world who get to call me dad. And that means something. There is a depth of relationship just by the words used by my kids in reference to me. And that is what Jesus says. That's how you talk to God. So first of all, this relationship, Father. But He is not just any father. What are the next words? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a little bit of an old term. We don't use that much. It means holy, uh, which we also sometimes use a lot in Christianity but don't define. It means to be set apart. It's different. It's other. And in this sense, it is other supreme. And so what he's saying is not only do I understand my relationship to you, but I want to see you honored and glorified in my life and in the world. When you pray, talk to him like a, like a child to a loving parent, but also recognize this is, no, this is no other parent. This is God. And what you want is his good and, to, and for him to be known. So that's that first phrase. The second phrase is your kingdom come. Again, our father is not like any other father. Uh, our father is king. Our father is almighty. There's no one greater than him. It's to see his rule and his reign come into every aspect of our own lives and throughout the entire world. And here's why we want this. Not only because he's our father and we want him honored, but I want you to think about this. Everywhere God reigns, truly reigns, ultimately reigns, and when He comes again and He makes all things new, do you know what His reign will bring? Justice, peace, security, and joy. Where God reigns and where He rules, these things are inherently true because they are a character of God Himself. So we want His kingdom to come. And you know what this also means? We're praying for His kingdom and not our own. I don't know about you, but I want the kingdom of Brandon to be pretty darn big. And I want to rule and reign over my little corner of the world, and I don't want anyone to threaten me or to knock me off. But when we're taught to pray this way, we actually pray and get something better. Because God is eternally good, kind, just, and loving. That when Jesus Christ comes again and when God's rule and reign happens over the entire world and he's never, his, his, his position is never threatened, you know what the Bible says? There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. And there's no more death. That's the kingdom we want to happen. And we want to bring it in small and large ways into this world right now. And we, that can only happen when God reigns and rules as king. So that's why we pray your kingdom come. That next line is, give us each day our daily bread. It's a reliance on God. What he's saying is you always need him to provide for you. You cannot do it on your own. And when you try, you will starve. 
Now, there's a, there's a reference here to an Old Testament story in Exodus where they're wandering in the desert. They, they, have, they were ruled over by the Egyptians for hundreds of years, literally 400 years, the Bible tells us. And they, they leave Egypt. The slave nation defeats the most powerful and mighty kingdom there is. And they don't fight at all. It's because God brought them out. And between where they are in Egypt to where they're supposed to be is desert. So they're wandering and they're starving. And they say, oh, we're going to die out here. And what does God do? He provides food. He provides something they call manna. Manna actually means what is it? They see it and they go, what? And that's what they name it. They name it, what is it? That's what manna means. But they have to do it every single day. If they keep it, if they gather more than they need for each day, it goes moldy and uh, there's worms in it. They can't store up more than they need. They have to be reliant on God day after day after day after day in the middle of the desert to provide for them. Jesus says, this is our reliance on God. We need daily bread from him but it's not just our physical need this kind of bread is is for your whole person you are not just a physical being you're also mental you're also emotional you're also spiritual we need god to fulfill us and feed us so we don't die in all those other ways because you as a whole being reflect the image of god and what we're praying for by God providing for us is not just our physical needs, which are important, and yes, they should be provided for. But we're also taking, asking God to take care of us as a whole person. Body, soul, and mind. I hate asking for daily bread. I wish it was at least monthly. I wish it was a little more than that. Because day after day reminds me of my own futility. But in that, we realize how good God is. The next point is, forgive us our sins. Now this is key. We've been building up to this point. And this is where another term that we use a lot, sometimes we don't always define it, this word gospel comes in. Do you know that your greatest problem in life is sin? Everything that has ever gone wrong and will ever go wrong is a result of sin. Either yours or someone else's that's committed against you. Everything that's wrong, everything that's bad, every fault, failure, mistake, shortcoming is all because of sin. It is rebellion and turning away from God. And it is one thing you can never solve yourself the idea of justice in America, I, just, I recently had to do uh, jury duty because uh, I, I live in uh, Ramsey County. I had to go out to St. Paul and go to the courthouse. Do you know, the, you know how justice is represented in America? It's different than most other places around the world. Justice in America is personified by a woman who's holding scales, who's blindfolded. And the thought is, she cannot be biased one way or another because she can't see. So she can't judge based on her own perception. It's based on this impersonal balancing of the scales. That if more wrong is done, you have to do more right and the scales have to be even. 
And I want, you to tell, I want to tell you that is not anywhere close to the biblical idea of justice. That one wrong, a single, a single error, a single sin, disrupts everything. That's what we see in the Garden of Eden. That when Adam and Eve, they're in a perfect world, they're in paradise, is what the Bible says. It is paradise. It is ultimate. There is no want. There is no, there, there is no suffering. Everything is functioning exactly how it is. And one sin happens. They disobey one time. And what happens? They immediately feel shame. They immediately feel guilt. And instead of going to God when He calls to them, they run away and hide. And guess what? When God sees them and talks to them, they're kicked out of paradise and everything is hard and difficult. Because justice means everything is right and working and operating the way it should. So one mistake that you've ever made, one sin has to be paid for in fullness and complete. And there's no way you can ever do enough good things to make up for it, ever. And this is why forgiveness is such a big deal. Because Jesus Christ took your sin, not in part, but the whole. And being nailed to the cross, you bear that sin no more. Do you realize what this is? This is what we talk about with grace. It's completely undeserved. The gospel, which literally means good news, means you don't have to perform. You don't have to work harder to get into God's good graces. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been saved and, and your sin has been paid for in full. There is no more debt. Do you know what you appear, how you appear before God in Jesus Christ? Perfect. It's a lot different. I don't know if you've ever had debt. Some of you are college students. You know about debt. Uh, or credit card debt or car loan payment or I have a mortgage on my house. This huge lump sum. If you can imagine, uh, you go to the bank and you say, I can't make my payments anymore. And, the, and someone who's in management says, you know what? We have enough in, in, uh, in reserves. Your debt is completely forgiven. Wow, that's, that's, great. that's really good news. That could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe more, depending on what your debt is. What's in your bank account? Zero. Nothing. Guess what? If you want to eat that week, you better get to work. That's not Christianity. Do you know what it means to be saved by Jesus Christ? Not only is your sin paid for, your debt placed on Jesus. You know the good, the really good news of that is? Everything that Jesus deserves is now applied to you. Do you realize how radical that is? Do you know how much Jesus deserves? Do you know how good he is? Do you know how perfect and holy he is? And his perfect record, his merit, everything he has done is now placed on you as a believer. I want you to think about this. How much does God the Father love God the Son? Infinitely perfect, eternal, holy, known each other from before time began. 
How much does God the Father love God the Son? More than we can ever describe. And guess what? If you're in Jesus Christ, that is you. Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you are loved that much by God as much as He loves His perfect Son. Not only is there no condemnation for you, but the Bible actually says, this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin, take on our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. You are God's righteousness. So when we pray, forgive us our sins, what we're saying is, we cannot do it. We need an outside Savior. And you have provided. Forgive us our sins. And guess what the response is? There's the next line. As we forgive everyone who is indebted to much. Have you ever been caught red-handed in something? I've been caught red-handed many times doing things I'm very ashamed of. I heard a pastor once tell a story. Uh, he was in college at the time, and there was someone on his floor. He went to a Christian college. There was someone on his floor who wasn't a Christian, and they had all the inappropriate, um, this is back in the 80s, the inappropriate magazines. I hope you know what I'm talking about. Failed reference there. Um, and when he knew that person was gone, he was the RA. He had the key to every every uh, dorm room. And when he knew that that person was gone to class, he went in and he looked at all those things. And guess what? That guy skipped class. And he walked in on him. And the shame he felt of being caught in that moment, in that act. You fast forward about 30, 30 years um, in the future. He has a kid. Uh, it's the, age, the early age of the internet. And his kid is caught surfing and looking at things that he shouldn't look at. And his kid comes and he's so ashamed. And that dad wants to come and say, "How? what are you doing? Don't you know how gross and disgusting that is? And you know what the dad does? He tells him that story of himself in college and he cries. He says, I know how hard it is. Let's work on this together. Do you see the difference? How can he do that? Because he knew his own shame and humility. And when he had been forgiven much, you can forgive others a whole, month, a whole lot more. If you realize how much you have been forgiven, it is a lot easier to forgive other people. Oh, wrote myself a note. Um, come from a very angry family. And it's very much affected especially how I parent. And uh, my, my six-year-old, Theo, who's, who's now, at the time of the story, I think he's four. Um, the way we do bedtime is you go to the bathroom, you brush your teeth, you comb your hair, and then we read some stories. And we're kind of frantic. We're all over the place. Uh, my youngest is already there. He's ready to read stories. My oldest is brushing his teeth. And he's been in the bathroom about 15 minutes. I'm like, mm, something's going on. And I open the door because they have their own, they, they have a, a bathroom that they use just for them. I opened the door, and uh, what had happened was he had toothpaste. And, and their toothpaste, the lid is what you sit it on, flat. And what he thought he'd do 
was he'd squeeze a toothpaste just to see how hard it would go. And you can imagine the pressure builds up, right? And it pops and blue toothpaste goes everywhere. And four-year-old little boy panics and he doesn't know what to do. So he grabs the first thing he can see, which is what? The toilet paper. And toilet break paper is meant to break down. So I walk in to this scene, blue toothpaste everywhere. And he tried to clean it up with the toilet paper, which only made it break down and just smeared it all over the bathroom. The mirror, the sink, the walls, the floor. Didn't get on the ceiling, fortunately. And I walk in there and I just remember how angry I was in that moment. And I look at my son and I bend down and I say, let's clean this up together. And he cries because of his deep shame. But he knows his father loves him. And you know what? Because of that, he's a lot kinder to his brother the next day. Because he has been forgiven much. That's why we pray. Forgive us our sins. For we forgive others who are indebted to us. And finally, lead us not into temptation. When things go wrong and we go the wrong way, that's our tendency. We don't go towards God. Our natural bent is to go the wrong way. And we need God help, God's help to lead us and to guide us. Okay, that's the prayer. Wow, we spent a lot of time on that. Um, thanks for doing that. The next section I want to look at, there's actually three parts to it. There's a big story about a friend who's in need of help. And then Jesus goes on to explain this. And I want you to see this. This is really important because he's explaining. He just said, here's a paradigm for prayer. Know your, know your relationship with God. Want to honor him to see his rule and reign happen. Admit that your faults and failings are very real and you need God. And, how, and for God to help you to forgive other people. He says, okay, that's great. That's the kind of how-to, the nuts and bolts. But he goes on to explain prayer in a beautiful way. So if you look with me, uh, I believe it's on the slides. Uh, we're going to look at verses 5 and go all the way through verse 13. I'm going to read it one chunk, but we're going to look at it in a couple sections here. Um, verse 5, uh, this is Jesus talking. And he said to them, which of you has a, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What, will, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead, instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I want to start by looking at the friend. And there's something that's shocking here, right? A uh, little bit of context. You usually made bread in this day and age for the entire week. So if you have no bread left over, you, you have nothing to eat. And midnight is, is quite literally the middle of the night because this is, right, this is before electricity, 
uh, when the sun goes down, you basically get ready and go to bed. And it's a one-room house. So when he says the door is locked, it means it's closed, and it's really inconvenient to get up. And his children are in bed with him because they only have one bed. And if you have children, do not wake them in the middle of the night. Do not wake your children in the middle of the night. You will be tortured for the next couple of hours, and they will be cranky the next day. And guess what? How does, why does this person give bread to his neighbor? Did you see that? If you have your Bible, or if it's up, look what it says. This is verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. It's not the relationship. Why? Yet because of his impudence, and that word is really hard to translate. So this is written in a, a Greek language, uh, and it's translated into English here. And that word is really hard to translate. It can mean uh, rudeness. It can mean bothersome. It can mean persistence or being insistent. One of the, one of the strongest words uh, that this word kind of means is shameless. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? This is how you ought to pray. You ought to pray in such a way that the mans are so big and you go to him so often. You're like a shameless child going to the father, to your good father and asking him over and over and over and over and over again. Now that may seem strange to you. That seems strange to me to go to God. And that's what Jesus says. Now, just so you know, this isn't the only place Jesus says this. If you have a Bible, turn real quickly to Luke 18. Uh, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 8, there's a story here, and it's called the parable of the persistent widow. And here's a widow, and widows had nothing of their own. They were, they were almost completely helpless in this time. Uh, she was going to a judge to get justice, and he wasn't going to give it to her because he didn't care. He was not a righteous judge. But because she went over and over and over and over again, just, to, just so she would stop bothering him, he gave her justice. And Jesus again says, this is what you're called to do in prayer. Now, the analogy breaks down. God is not annoyed with you. You cannot annoy him into getting what you want. But what, he's, what is he trying to get us to understand? What is he trying to get his disciples to understand? Go to him constantly. Go to him shamelessly, persistently to, to ask him. And he loves that. And as a good father, he loves to give you good things. Do you see what he said there at the end? If, you, if he asks for a fish, a good father will not give a serpent. I'm sorry, a, uh, yeah, a serpent, a snake. If he asks for an egg, he's not going to give you something dangerous that could kill you like a scorpion. He is a good father who loves to give you good things. Does that mean he always gives you what you ask for? No, because a good father knows better. We were celebrating a birthday in my house of one of my kid's friends. And I had to say, you know what? Three cupcakes before supper is probably enough. If you keep going, you're going to get sick. It's not because I don't like my child. It's actually because I love my child that I will not let him run out into the street whenever he wants. Or my kids love the pool. They love to swim. You cannot go in the pool by yourself because you do not know how to float. It's not because I'm mean. It's not because I'm cruel. It's because I'm loving. But sometimes I deny my kids the very things they want. And Jesus says, this is the good father you have. So go to him constantly, persistently, 
shamelessly time and time again. And he may give you what you want. A good father will give you what you want if it's good for you. And a good father will withhold from you because he loves you. If our relationship to God is like a good parent, how does that shape how we pray? My kids don't ask me for things wondering how I feel about their question. They ask me because it's what they want. And they wait for my judgment, hopefully which is good, to determine whether or not they get what they want but there is no shame in their asking. And you know what we read? Um, Nathan referenced uh, James 4, verse 8, just a little bit um, just a little bit after that. No, a little bit before that. You know what James says? You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. It's the end of verse 2 into verse 3. This is really surprising because some of us believe God will only hear us if we're really, really good. And then God owes us a good answer. No, that's not true. Some of us have a hard time going to God because we see how insufficient we are and we are so ashamed that we don't want to go to God to ask for things because he may say no and he may say you don't deserve it and we go, yeah, we don't deserve it. That's not what God says. Jesus says, the gospel is true, which means if you believe in Jesus Christ, He loves you. Let me rephrase that. In Jesus Christ, it is not possible for God to love you any more than He does because He loves you as much as He possibly can. I want you to see how free that is. You have this freedom in Jesus Christ. His love is deeper, fuller, and richer than you can ever comprehend. So go to Him in prayer. Because you are a child of God. The Gospel tells us that we can pray with boldness asking for things that you might be ashamed to ask for. But we, you can go boldly because of your relationship with God and Jesus Christ. You can, act, you can ask with expectancy because you know that God is good and if he, gives, he will give you what is good for you. And if we, He withholds it, it's only for a good reason. He is not mean and spiteful just to be mean and spiteful. He, wants to, he is a good and loving Father. And if He withholds anything from you, it's because it's the best option for you. You can ask with contentment because you can, you can understand that even if God doesn't give you the things you want, what you most need, you already have in Jesus Christ. The love of a God the Father that will never spoil, fade, or perish. You can ask with consistency because your heart's desire is for God Himself. There is a man, his name is George Uh, Mueller. Uh, He was in England in the 1800s. He was a missionary, pastor, preacher. He had one of the greatest fundraising campaigns there ever was. 
and he was asked by some friends of his to consider how to reform the orphan the orphanage uh, system in England. Uh, so when parents die and and kids are left without parents, uh, they would they would go to these orphanages, and oftentimes the kids would get charged to to pay for that, which you can imagine is a horrible system. So George Mueller starts to pray and ask God to help him. Now, George Mueller doesn't pray like I pray. He's much better at it. He does it more consistently. He does it more often. He does it more boldly. He never asks a single person ever for money. And you know what? He, he raises enough money to, buy, to build 10 orphanages that house close to 30,000 people. A woman uh, came to George Mueller's office one day, and she and he had been praying. And she came and said, uh, "I just felt really compelled by God to give you this diamond necklace that I own. It's been in my family for years, and I feel obligated to give it to you. And you sell it and use the money and proceeds however you see fit." And George Mueller takes that diamond necklace, and there's a window over his desk. And he etches into the glass two words, Jehovah Jireh. It's taken from the story in the Old Testament about Adam and his son Isaac. Uh, Not Adam, I'm sorry, Abraham. That would make a lot more sense. Abraham and his son Isaac. Abraham is promised to be the father of the nations. Abraham is is promised uh, children that he cannot count, that he he can't possibly comprehend. He is 99 years old. He has one son. And God says, that is the very thing I ask you to sacrifice. I ask you to give him up. God actually asks Abraham to kill his son. And he goes up the mountain to sacrifice his son, his only son, whom he loves. And his son realizes what's happening at one point. And he says, Father, I see the wood. I see the fire. I see that sacrificial part there. Where is the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And he did. He spared his son. And there was a sacrificial lamb that took his place. You know what Jehovah Jireh means? The Lord will provide. Your deepest needs will be met in Jesus Christ. It may not be the way you want It may not be how you want, but go to the good Father and pray to Him continually. All right, with that, let's let's pray to end this time. This is a prayer, um, this is an older prayer taken from a group of people called the Puritans. So the language is a little bit older, but I I want us to end this way with this prayer tonight, at least this portion. And I hear this. O God of the open ear, teach us to live by prayer as well as by providence. Help us to see the sin that accompanies all that we do and the good that I can gain from every single thing. Let me know that the work of prayer is to bring my will and our will into yours. Help me, help us not only to desire small things, but with holy boldness desire great things for your people, for ourselves, and that we might live to show your glory. Teach us that it is wise for me to pray 
for all that I have, out of love, willingly, not out of necessity, that I may come to you, that we may come to you at any time, to lay open all our needs before you, and that the remembrance of this truth is one of the ways we can sense your very presence. It is all for Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen.